That good, huh? <laughs> hey, if you got your Bibles with you tonight, let's open up the book of Numbers. Uh, we'll be in Numbers chapter 16 tonight as we uh, continuing, continue working our way through the book in the Hebrew called Bamidbar, which means in the wilderness. And as we look at it, to me, Numbers, I guess it makes me sad reading Numbers. Maybe sometimes, or maybe in some way that's because I I think sometimes the Lord looks at all the what could have been's in my life, and I'm sure that that, that they would make anybody watching sad by the choices that we made, the things we did in our life, you know, the, the decisions, the crossroads we came to, and like the children of Israel went left when we should have went right. And you and I, as we look at the book of Numbers, we, we know what they're, what they're missing. You know, we know that they're, they're stepping out of the promised land and wandering in the wilderness. And so they're, they're in the wilderness now. They've come to the Kadesh Barnea. They've turned their back on God's ability to, to carry them through. And we start to see the issue of really what made them or what held them up from being everything they could have been with the Lord. We're going to see it. And it, the root of it is in the heart of complaint. In Numbers chapter 16, we're going to see that we don't know. We're, Moses is going to share with us through the book of Numbers a few stories, but we're not going to get a chronology. We're not going to say this many years and this happened, this many days and that happened. But he's going to share a few of the events, the, the milestones, if you will, the 40 years in the wilderness. Remember, the 40 years in the, in the wilderness is the world's longest funeral march, 90 funerals a day. That's average. Some days, we'll read about uh, uh, tonight, they're going to have substantially more than 90 funerals. But that's, that's the average as they go through the wilderness. Realizing I can't have God's best for my life, and instead of rallying from that, instead of drawing near to the Lord and say, well, Lord, okay, I messed this up and, and I can't go this way, well, but I need to be as close to you as I can be. Instead of that, they're going to turn their hearts, they're going to turn their worship away. Uh, the book of Amos tells us that they worshiped idols the 40 years in the wilderness, that they didn't offer the voluntary sacrifices, they never gave thanks, they, they never took those opportunities to draw near to the Lord until the end. They didn't circumcise any of their children that were born. Because when Joshua enters into the promised land, before he can go to the battle of Jericho, the Lord says, circumcise all the male children, all those from the 40 years in the wilderness that weren't circumcised. Consecrate yourself to me. And so this is the call that God has for his people. Consecrate yourself to me like Fritz was praying earlier. Be separate from the world and to God. Drawing near to him. So as we look at the things that that held them back, the things that kept them from experiencing uh, all that the Lord had planned for them, again, we see some of the the root that brought about that fruit as we take a look tonight. Verse uh, chapter sixteen, verse one. Now Korah, the son of Izhar, the son of Kohath, the son of Levi. With Dothan and Abiram, the sons of Eliab, and On, the sons of Peleth, sons of Reuben, they took men and rose up before Moses. And some of the children of Israel, 250 
leaders of the congregation, representatives of the congregation, men of renown. They gathered together against Moses and Aaron, and they said to them, You take too much upon yourselves, for all the congregation is holy, every one of them, and the Lord is among them. Why then do you exalt yourselves above the assembly of the Lord? So we see them bring a complaint yet again against Moses as the leader of the children of Israel. Who made Moses the leader? Did he win by popular vote? No, God pulled him out of the backside of the desert, said, I'm going to send you to this people. They go to the people. He's going to deliver the people to the promised land and take them from slavery to a land flowing with milk and honey. That was God's promise, what he would do through Moses. Well, let's back up and let's take a look at, at who we're dealing with here. First, Korah, the son of Ishar. Ishar, we read, is the brother of Amram. Amram may be familiar to you. That's Moses' dad. So when we take a look at Korah, you need to realize this is Moses' cousin. Kin. Now, a couple of uh, chapters ago, remember, we saw Aaron and Miriam rise up against Moses. And God say, no, guys, I've called Moses as my leader. Now we see the people rising up. This is a cousin, member of his own family, uh, maybe feels like uh, he, because he was related, had an opportunity to be who Moses is and feels like, hey, there hasn't been a vote. The people haven't had an opportunity to decide who they like to lead. And so, the, you know, I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to raise up a, a, a group of guys around me, and we're going to go. There is a, a concept, especially in the United States and in the American church, that somehow we move forward by popular vote. Hopefully, you all have been around long enough to know popular vote doesn't do anything. And if we try to govern ourselves or govern the church in that uh, method we won't get anything done we can't do anything how did how did god lead he raised up a man he set him as his anointed he spoke to him he gave him the spirit the holy spirit was upon moses and he said now you guys follow him this is where we're going he's the one who's going to take you there let's follow him and so this is the concept that they're in rebellion against now they might think that they're rising up against moses that their problem is with Moses. And, and he's going to give some accusations about Moses, you know, lording it over the people. Well, as we look at this, the scripture lays out for us who they're really rebelling against. They're really rebelling against the sovereignty of God. And that's really an issue that we need to settle within ourselves. The sovereignty of God. That God is in control. Now, we can all sit around and, and try to comfort ourselves and think that God would have wanted a different president than President Obama. He would have wanted somebody else. But the scripture declares to us that it is God who raises up kings and establishes kingdoms. This, was, this is all a part of God's plan. Either God is sovereign or God's not sovereign. If he's sovereign, that means that he is ultimately in control. And we think about that, that guy who maybe is, is our boss at work and how unrealistic he is and how ungodly he is. And, and, and surely the Lord doesn't want this guy to be over me. But God is sovereign. 
And if God is sovereign, then there is a reason, a purpose. Isn't that what the Scripture declares to us? That there's a purpose for those things. Now, folks, we can argue forever about what does evil in the world mean? I'll tell you what evil in the world means. Evil in the world means that somewhere written inside your heart, there is the idea of good. Otherwise, how would you know one from the other? Somewhere in your heart, there's that concept written in your heart that that there is good and evil. And evil, the scripture lays out for us, exists in this world through the God of this age. And that Almighty God is working His purposes through all of that junk that happens in the world to bring about the restitution of all things. Scripture declares to us, in fact, uh, in the book of Matthew... Uh, Jesus, speaking of his return to earth, said it was a time of the renewal of all things. The Greek word that he uses for this time of the renewal of all things means that everything that has ever been wrong is going to be turned right. Everything that was ever lost is going to be found. Everything that was ever broken is going to be fixed. So the resurrection, the empowerment of God moving in our lives occurs in our lives when we learn what jesus said to abide in him because when we abide in him we will see the renewal of all things in some way the evil the hardship the rotten things that have happened in this world when we stand before christ on that day somehow all of that stuff that occurred is going to make that glory the majesty of jesus christ and heaven spending eternity with him Way more majestic, full of glory, words beyond description. That's what the Bible says. It's true or it's not. What happens with Korah? Korah's watching Moses. What does he see Moses do? He, 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 He divides the Red Sea, the manna falling from heaven. Is it hard to see the hand of God in Moses' life? I mean, do you look at Moses and think, yeah, I can understand why they would think God wasn't with them. I mean, every time we turn around, just the, 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 the time that they spent at Mount Sinai with the voice of God coming down from Mount Sinai and the people saying, Moses, you go up there and talk to God yourself. This is too much for us to handle. All of these things are happening, yet in the midst of it all, we have a fellow named Korah who's beginning to think, you know what, uh, this is, I don't know that Moses should be leading. I think I, think I, I could take over. I think I could do a better job. Who's ultimately in control? God. So what are you saying? I can do a better job than God can. I love a study in the life of David, and this is why. Folks, we know David was anointed to be king. You remember when uh, he was visited by the prophet? The prophet looked at all of Jesse's kids and said, No, none of these is the one. Do you have another? Oh, just a young one. He's out in the field with the, with the sheep. Well, go get him and bring him here. And they got him and they brought him. And what did the prophet do? Anointed him king of Israel. Right? Poured oil upon him. So David, he must have mustered himself up an army, right? And, and went and took the throne by force. Is that what he did? No. What did he, what did he say? I will not touch God's anointed. Right? Saul had been anointed king before him. And David surmised, listen, if God's called me 
to take his place, then God doesn't require me to go and make it happen. I can just wait upon the Lord and he will do the work. Isn't that what David did? For 10 years, hiding in caves, I'm sure David thought, man, this is crazy. Saul wants to kill me, but David didn't go take the throne. He waited until God gave it to him. Later on in David's life, you see the exact same thing when Absalom, his son, rebels against him and wants to take the kingdom by force. David says, I don't need to fight him. He walks out of Jerusalem. He leaves Jerusalem to his son Absalom and says, if, if this is God's plan, I'm not going to get in the way of it. I'll just go over here. And God worked it out. Was Absalom to be king? No. So it wouldn't have mattered how hard Absalom tried or how much he rebelled. He's not going to achieve that position that he thinks he wants so bad. The authority. He's not going to have it. Why? Because it's not God's plan. We want to walk in God's plan. We want to follow God's direction. And folks, if we want to enter into Kadesh Barnea, the the victorious Christian life, then we've got to learn a lesson. The, The lesson that held them back was this heart of complaint, a heart of rebellion against what God was doing and how God was doing it. Growing up at Joshua Springs, Pastor Gerald would often say something. He would often say, you know, it's okay if you don't feel like we're going in the same direction as you and you don't feel like the Spirit of God is here moving, then perhaps God's calling you somewhere else. It's okay. Go somewhere else and be blessed. But don't sow seeds of discord among brethren. That's what Korah did. In the book of Proverbs, God says, I hate, I hate, that's strong language coming from God. Them that sow discord among brethren. Trust that God is doing a work, that God is accomplishing something. But Korah couldn't do it. He couldn't let it go. What else does it tell us? Korah was, of the tribe of Levi, a Kohathite. You guys remember what the Kohathites did? I mean, they had responsibilities, right? They had responsibilities. They were to carry the furniture within the, the tabernacle. The Ark of the Covenant was born on the shoulders of the Kohathites. They were the ones that were called to carry all those special uh, pieces of furniture and special things within the tabernacle. And where did the Kohathites camp? They camped right next to the tribe of Reuben. Why is that important? Well, look what it says. So Korah, the son of Kohath, with Dathan and Abiram, the sons of Eliab, and On, the son of Peleth, sons of who? Reuben. How did he gather the people? He just started to talk to the people that were camped by him. Oh, you know, Moses, he's not all that great a leader. You know, if he was a good leader, we'd be going into promised land. It's all Moses' fault that we aren't going. It's all Moses' fault that we're not experiencing the things that we ought to experience. They begin to mutter and complain. And does it only affect them? What do we know about that which is unclean around that which is clean? Dirty makes clean dirty. That's how it works. So here we have all this talk going up. What happens next? They rose before Moses with some of the children of Israel, 250 leaders of the congregation. These are men of renown. This is 250 of the most popular, the most prominent, the most respected men 
coming through from the tribe of Reuben, listening to the words of spite spoken by uh, Korah, following the seeds of discord sown among brethren, they rise up against Moses. They rise up against Moses. Why? Because they rise up. Why? Because they want power. They want what they think they're missing in their life. Had God given each of them a call, the, the, the tribe of Reuben had a role within the body of the children of Israel, didn't they? They were one of the four standards from which the children of Israel would march. The Kohathites, they had a rule, uh, something to do, something God had called them to and directed them to. But listen, they despised the day of small beginnings. Scripture says not to despise the day of small things. Not to despise the place where God has planted you. But if we take our eyes, folks, if we take our eyes off of what is pure and lovely and of good reproach, that's where our eyes are supposed to be, on Jesus Christ. We take our eyes off of that and we begin to look around. Well, he's planted in a better flower pot than I am. I wish I was planted over there. Oh, he's got a more fruitful ministry. He's, he's, the Lord's blessing him more. If I was there, I could be doing that job. Is that true? We want to put our faith and trust that God knows what God's doing. And he's placed us in this place. And Paul would write, bloom where you're planted. Bloom, grow, draw near to the Lord. Press into, the, press into God. And as you grow and as you learn more and more about what God's plan for your life is, then God is going to take you and transplant you here. He's going to move you there. He's going to place you in this place. And you will never have to self-promote. God will do it for you. God will do the work. We just have to trust but here we have these men. They're coming. They're, they're desiring something that someone else has. A work that God is doing in someone else's life. Would you turn with me to Proverbs, uh, Proverbs chapter 13? Proverbs 13.10. What does it tell us? It says this. By pride comes nothing but strife. Where did all this strife that we're seeing right now from Korah come from? His pride. What do we know about pride? We know that pride leads us to the fall, right? That pride is going to take us to the place where we're going to stumble and fall. That it is through pride that wars fought among us come from. So when there's these, this problem, guys, when there's a problem between brothers and the Lord in the church, the problem is always going to be pride. Somewhere down in it is pride. Someone got their pride hurt, got their pride stepped on, or is trying to exude or, or push forward their agenda by pride. That's what he's talking about. That's what Korah is doing. He's, he's pushing by pride his agenda. He's pushing it. And so it says, listen, you take too much upon yourselves, in verse 3, chapter 16 in Numbers, take too much upon yourselves, for all the congregation is holy, every one of them, and the Lord is among them. The people are, are able, God's with them. God, the Holy Spirit, speaks to them just like he does to everyone else. 
Folks, that's absolutely true. But that does not mean that God calls us all to the same position. It doesn't mean that God gives us all the same responsibilities. If God lays on someone's heart that the, the Lord is directing them to, to lead children's ministry, and then the folks that are there teaching the kids say, well, the same spirit works in me as is working in this person that's leading children's ministry. Why should I have to listen to them? It's an attitude of rebellion. The source of that rebellion is pride, and it's going to lead to strife, and it's going to mess up. It's going to disrupt the things that God wants to do. Because the Lord lays people in authority in different places where we learn to submit because submitting to others teaches us to submit to God. That's how it is. That's what the Lord wants to do. It's how God wants to work. Why then do you exalt yourselves above the assembly of the Lord? He's he's accusing Moses of, of making himself even more important than God. Oh, you make yourself so important, Moses. You act like you're the, the main thing. Is that really the Moses we read about in Scripture? The most humble man ever born? Did, did he like say, hey, God, I really think I'm the man for this job? He's probably been ready to quit this job a number of times. And I reckon this day he wouldn't mind hearing that he could quit this day either. But here he is accusing him of raising himself above the Lord. So listen, most important thing that we're going to take a look at, one of the most important things we're going to see tonight, right here. So when Moses heard it, he fell on his face. When Moses heard it, before he responded, before he said a thing, before he defended himself, before he got into an argument, before he did anything, he fell on his face. It declares that Moses sought the Lord. Before he spoke. Man, I'd keep myself out of a whole lot of trouble if I could learn to do that all the time. All the time. If, if I was a little cranky and I went home and Kathy spoke and I sought the Lord before I responded, I'd stay out of trouble a lot more. We have. Yeah. We need to. Hey, we need to. This is like the third or fourth time we've seen Moses faced with something he didn't know what to do, face on the floor before the Lord. God, what do you want for me to do? Folks, the church moves forward based on her ability to seek the Lord in every situation. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not in your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him. And he'll direct your steps. We want to, in everything we do, seek the Lord. Seek the Lord. We are beginning a new ministry here um, that uh, I'm excited about. It's called Warriors on the Wall. It provides a seven-day week on which there are 24 hours, 23 hours, 58 minutes, something like that, of every day that are listed out where we can have someone praying for the needs of the church, the sick in the church, for our country, for the nation, for the things that are going on around the world, for our missionaries that are here and there, for those who are on mission trips, so that we can have someone praying every hour of every day. Jesus said, can't you not sit and watch with me for one hour? So we're going to provide an opportunity for folks to to sign up. Now, I'm not uh, beginning to imagine that we'll fill it all. There's 168 slots that would cover every hour of every day, of every week, of every month, of every year. 
But I think if we, God's people, will say, you know what, I can take my time on the wall. I can take my time on the wall watching over the people like Moses, the people that are are disgruntled, people that are struggling, people that are going through hard things. I'll take my hour and lift up those needs and those concerns and go before the Lord in prayer. Then God's going to guide. He's going to lead. He's going to do great things. He's going to do great things. So we have it out there. It's out there on the table. If you want to go by and take a look at it, we'll have more things in a bulletin on on Sunday, but go by and take a look. I'll promise you that the, there will always be a slot open for you. Might be 1 a.m., 2 a.m., 3 a.m. Those always kind of hang out there for a while. But there will always be a spot that you can pick and say, you know what, I'm going to stand watch for Calvary Chapel Buell for the glory of Jesus Christ. I'm going to stand watch and I'm going to pray. I'm going to pray for our community. I'm going to pray for the sick. I'm going to pray for the things that are going on and watch God do the things that he's, he's going to do. Because God's going to move. God's going to work. And God's going to affect all of our lives if we'll set aside that time and say, this will be the hour. I'm going to take, you know, one in the afternoon on, on Monday. That'll be my, that doesn't mean you don't pray the rest of the week, but that's your hour on the wall. That's your time on the wall to just really seek the Lord in an attitude of, of prayerfulness, even as we see Moses doing here, that God would guide, that God would lead. Well, let's take a look what happens. So immediately he falls on his face and then he gets up and he responds. And he spoke to Korah and all his company saying, tomorrow morning the Lord will show who is his and who is holy and will cause him to come near to him, the one who he chooses. He will cause to come near to him. Do this. Take censers, Korah and all your company. Put fire in them. Put incense in them before the Lord tomorrow. And it shall be that the man whom the Lord chooses is a holy one. You take too much upon yourselves, sons of Levi. The accusation that they made to him, he brings back to them. But I think it's different. I think the attitude that we hear from Korah is an attitude of discontent, unbelief, anger. I think the attitude coming from Moses, because he knows what's down this road. What's down the the road of rebellion against God? Anybody ever ever walk the road of rebellion against God? I've been on it before. I can tell you what's at the end of that road. I can tell you what's there. Moses knows what's coming. Oh, you guys take too much on yourself. You don't have to go down that road. That's what I hear in the voice of of Moses. He goes on to speak to Korah. He says, now hear now, sons of Levi. Is it a small thing to you that the God of Israel has separated you from the congregation of Israel to bring you near to himself, to do the work of the tabernacle of the Lord, to stand before the congregation and serve him? He's saying, listen, is is this the the calling that God has on your life? Is that so little to you that, that you want to cast that aside and presume that God wants you to do something else? I mean, ultimately, what I see in the heart of Korah is a heart of unbelief. He doesn't believe God's in control. He believes Moses is in control. He doesn't really put any faith and stock in the existence or the power of God. He just assumes this is all done by some type of trickery or something, and I can take control. I mean, how else do you explain 
Korah standing before the cloud, the pillar of fire, the manna that he gets every morning, the miracles of God that he's seen, and stepping up and saying, no, Moses, you're not the man. Moses, you're not the man. I don't believe that this is what God's doing. I don't believe that this is what God's directing. So Moses says, hey, is it a small thing, the plan that God has for you? Is it a small thing? I remember young in my Bible college days, pretty early in the Bible college days, I had all the answers to solve all the problems at the church that I was attending. I had them all. And if, they, if, I, if they'd only listened to me, it would all be squared away. And I had all this understanding, and you know, knowledge, you know what knowledge does, right? Knowledge puffs up. Love builds up. It's the biggest danger in Bible college. You start to learn a few things, and your head begins to grow so big you can't even get it through a door. Fortunately, someone who loves you is going to come along and pop it and help build you up. I had all the, I knew it all, man. I knew it all. And we would gather together this little band of guys and we would talk about how things would be different if we were the guys that were calling the shots and, and they're really missing the boat and the Holy Spirit's not really guiding the board of elders and the Holy Spirit's not really directing those who are in charge. Man, that is some presumptuous statements to make. In essence, what were we saying? God's not in control. And if we were in control, then we could put God back in control. Folks, that always comes from pride. Rebellion always stands on pride, not principle. It'll preach principle, but the reality is, it's about pride. The funny thing is, years later, I ended up on the board and realized I didn't know anything. And as I sat down and confessed to the pastor that was over me at the time, some of the things that I had done in the younger days against him, he told me the same story that he had done in a church that he had grown up in. And, and it's part of, I think in some ways, part of a learning process. I mean, for him, it was not hard for him to forgive me because he realized, hey, you know, I did this too. This was part of my growth. It was part of my development. Learning and realizing that, hey, God is in control. I'm thankful that God doesn't do it like he did it to Korah. That'd be over. Would have been over a long time ago. Don't despise the day of small things, small beginnings. Look for your niche. Look for the piece of the puzzle that you fit in within the body of Christ and bloom. And allow God to do the work that God wants to do. Allow God to, to be everything that he can and will be for you. He goes on to say, now in verse 10, And that he brought you near to himself, you and all your brethren, the sons of Levi, <coughs> with you. Are you also seeking the priesthood then? He, listen, it's not enough that, that God is here, that he separated you from among all the 12 tribes, that he's given you this responsibility, but now you're saying you want the priesthood? God said he's not going to give the priesthood to anybody but Aaron and his children forever. But now you're saying this is what you want. You're saying that what you have, the responsibilities that God has given you, is not enough. And that spirit of pride led to the rebellion of Korah. He says, therefore, you and all your company are gathered together against who? The Lord. Is it rebellion, the scriptures declared to us, is as a sin of witchcraft. What is rebellion? It's against 
the Lord. Rebellion is always against the Lord. The God's not in control. God doesn't know what he's doing. I can't submit to God in this situation. I need to take the reins away from him and take control myself. This is what Korah is doing. This is what Korah is trying to accomplish. And so Moses lets him know that his rebellion is against the Lord. And what is Aaron that you complain against him? Why are you mad at Aaron? You want the priesthood. I I find it interesting that Moses is kind of standing up for Aaron, who two chapters earlier was trying to take Moses' job. But we see what happens. Does the complaining just stay here? It spreads. Does rebellion just stop here? No, it spreads. Does sin just happen in the darkness? No, it spreads. It affects and infects everyone that it touches. And that's what's going on. So Moses sent to call Dathan and Abiram. Dathan and Abiram weren't there with him. And the sons of Eliab, and, and they said, we're not coming. So now Moses says, hey guys, come here. And they're like, no, who are you to tell us whether we come or not? We're not coming. We're not listening to you, Moses. And this is why. They say, is it a small thing that you have brought us up out of a land flowing with milk and honey? Excuse me? Is that what Moses did? They were in a land flowing with milk and honey and he took them out of it? When I remember, they were in chains and slavery and in bondage. Folks, this is what happens. The root of rebellion being pride... Pride, not principle, moving forward, changes our perspective, and then we can't get it right. Oh, we had things so much better there. That wasn't true. It's like when we look back at the good old days. Were they all really that good? They're old, but I don't know that they were that good. I forget all the... I I talk about the good old days in the Marine Corps. You know why I can talk about the good old days in the Marine Corps? Because I... I'm far enough away from it that I don't remember all the stuff I hated. Yeah. It's still there. It's still a reality. Listen, their perspective is skewed. Moses took us from a land flowing with milk and honey. No, he took you out of slavery and made you free. They go on to say, not only that, but you did it to kill us in the wilderness that you should keep acting like a prince over us. Oh, you're just going to wipe us out in the wilderness so that you can rule over us. Who was guiding them? Who was leading them? The cloud by day, the pillar of fire by night. So their complaint's not really against Moses. Their complaint really is against the Lord. Moreover, you have not brought us to a land flowing with milk and honey. Why not? They could be in a land flowing with milk and honey, but when they stood at the gates of the land... They didn't believe that they could do it. They did not trust God. They rebelled against God at Kadesh Barnea. And so they entered not. They said, the people said, we won't go. So God said, then wander in the wilderness for 40 years. Now that's Moses' fault. Hey, Moses, you didn't take us to the promised land. Yeah, he did. You wouldn't enter in. Nor have you given us the inheritance of the fields and the vineyards, their perspective, all messed up, all turned around, all messed up, all sideways. Will you put out the eyes of these men? Will you not come up? Listen, they're saying, what are you going to do now that we're speaking the truth? Are you going to blind every man in the camp so that they can't see what you're really about? (laughs) Yeah, that sounds like Moses, right? 
going around poking everybody's eyes out? No. What's wrong? Their perspective is all messed up. Why is their perspective messed up? Because they're putting their faith and their trust in their pride, their own ability to succeed, their belief in self. And so they're ready to go. They're going to take on all comers. We, we can do it. We're done with you leading us this way. And it's going to lead them to destruction. That's what it does. It's what it always does. And Moses was very angry and said to the Lord, Do not respect their offering. I have not taken one donkey from them, nor have I hurt any one of them. Moses said, Lord, they're going to all offer their censers in the morning. Lord, don't respect their offering that they're bringing because all this stuff they're saying ain't true. But you see, Moses didn't go to Aaron and say, I can't believe what they're saying about me, Aaron. He didn't go to Miriam and say, Miriam, will you believe what these people are saying? I can't believe how they're talking. Where did he go? He went to the Lord. Who is our defense? The Lord. If we defend ourselves, that's all you're ever going to be able to do. Spend all your time defending yourself. Take the cause to the Lord. Who is sovereign? The Lord is. If I am in a situation I don't like, the Lord, it didn't happen when he wasn't looking. He knows what he's doing. And I need to submit to him and lay my cause out before him like Hezekiah did. Lord, this is what they're saying and it's not true. You be my defense. Lord, you be my defense. And that's what Moses is doing here. You be my defense, Lord. Moses said to Korah, Tomorrow you and all your company be present before the Lord. You and they as well as Aaron. Let each take his censer and put incense in it. Let each of you bring a censer before the Lord. 250 censers, both you and Aaron, each with a censer. And every man took his censer, put fire in it, laid incense on it, and stood at the door of the tabernacle of meeting with Moses and Aaron. Now, here's a couple of things that you need to to really have a grasp on to understand what's about to happen in the story. One, the censers were all to be made out of hammered gold. Keep that in mind. It's going to come into play in a minute. Two, all the incense was to be put together by a specific recipe. You remember? As we've been going through the scriptures, very specific recipe. They were not to make it in any other way, any other time. This precise incense was what to be offered. What about fire? Where were they supposed to always get the fire for the incense to burn in the censers? was always to come from the altar. The altar, the place of sacrifice. Pointing to the cross. The incense, prayers of the saints. The, the, the censer, the bowl, if you will, holding the prayer of the saints to allow the sweet-smelling incense of that prayer to reach up into heaven. It would be in hammered gold. Why? Because God would present Himself to mankind and allow mankind to judge Him and beat Him and hammer Him. And it would be gold because gold is a picture of deity and it would be hammered because He was beaten like no man ever was. Hammered gold, perfect incense, fire from the altar, and it was only supposed to be the men God said. Just these men with these tools in this way come stand before me. So they all went. They got their censers. They filled it with fire. They filled it with incense. They stood before the tabernacle before the Lord. Korah gathered all the congregation against them at the door of the tabernacle of meeting. 
And the glory of the Lord appeared in all the congregation, and the Lord spoke to Moses. Bad sign. If you're Korah and 250 guys thinking that God's going to use you. The Lord spoke to Moses and Aaron, said, Separate yourself from among this congregation that I might consume them in a moment. So God basically speaks to say, Moses and Aaron, move out of the way because I'm about to take all these guys out. Moses and Aaron, you guys just go over there. Now Moses and Aaron could very easily have just said, Go get them. Get them, Lord. Go whoop them guys. Take care of them. But that's not what his heart was. Look what happens. The Lord says, separate yourselves. And they fell on their faces and said, Oh God, the God of the spirits and of flesh. Listen, this phrase is only used two places in the scripture. And it's speaking of Almighty God who knows the thoughts and the intents of every being on the earth. That's what it means. The God of spirits. The God who can see exactly what everybody is about. That's who they, who they call out to, the Lord that they call out to. Shall one man sin and you be angry with all the congregation? So what does Moses and Aaron do? You got the whole congregation gathered against him, everybody murmuring against him, 250 rising up, this guy Korah and uh, Dathan and Abiram, they, they all come against him. And as soon as the Lord says, I'm going to wipe him out, Moses drops to his face and he prays for him. He goes on his face for intercessory prayer to pray that by one man's sin, everybody would not be condemned. And that's a pretty good heart. That's a pretty good heart. Reminds me a lot of a prophet. The the book of Deuteronomy, Moses said, a prophet like unto me will come and you will listen to his words. Who was that prophet? The Mashiach Nagid, the Messiah. What did Jesus say from the cross? Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. He had a heart of intercessory prayer. On his way to the cross, he prays his high priestly prayer, John chapter 17. John chapter 17, he lays up praying for you and me. When he's on his way to the cross, he's thinking about you and me. He prayed for us. Here we see Moses on his face for the people. Lord, interceding for the people don't don't judge the people lord it's it's not about them lord it's 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 these guys you know we we he goes to bat for the people who are in the background shouting crucify him and he says they don't know what they're doing isn't that what jesus does and Jesus, didn't Jesus say, if, if you were to come after me, you must take up your cross and follow me. That means you walk like I walk. John would write in his epistles that anyone who says that he follows Jesus ought himself to walk even as he walked. So when someone talks about you or someone complains about you, is your first thought to pray for them. That's not mine either. I mean, I'm just being truthful. It's not mine, but it ought to be. It ought to be my attitude that says, you know what, I need to pray before I answer. I need to pray before I get angry. I need to seek the Lord. Even when my heart says like David, Lord, knock all their teeth out of their head. 
David prays like that. But you know the cool thing about the Psalms? David starts like that. But by the time he gets to the end of the Psalm, he's, you can just feel him resting in the peace of the Lord and trusting that God's going to do what he needs to do. Well, that's what prayer is all about. It works in us. It changes us. It helps conform us into his image. So he prays for the people. So the Lord spoke to Moses. Speak to the congregation saying, Get away from the tents of Korah, Dathan, and Abiram. Man, that's got to be a bad feeling. Don't you think? Hey, I need to make an announcement. Anybody who's sitting next to Korah, Dathan, and Abiram, you need to move. The judgment of God is about to come, and you don't want to be anywhere near them. And what's it like for... Korah, Dathan, and Abiram. I think they're hoping that what they believe that God isn't going to do that is, is actually going to occur. But all the people are moving when Moses says, get out the way. They're all moving out of the way. Moses rose and went to Dathan and Abiram, and the elders of Israel followed him. So all those guys, 250 leaders, the 70 elders of the nation of Israel, they're all with him. And he spoke to the congregation. He says, Depart now from the tents of these wicked men. Touch nothing of theirs, lest you be consumed in all their sins. Remember, don't touch anything of theirs. Why? Because that which is clean can be made dirty. Just by touching. That's why the Lord says, Don't touch, don't play, don't mess. Just get away. Just get away. What do we see Joseph doing when, when he was faced with the, the sin with <clears throat> uh, Potiphar's wife? She was giving him uh, the key to, to everything that any other young 16, 17-year-old boy might think would, would have been great. What, what, what was his response? Run. Don't touch. Don't look. Don't play. Get out. And that's what he did. And that's what he's telling them here. Hey, don't, don't get around them. Don't touch it. So they got away from around the tents of Korah, Dathan, and Abiram. Dathan and Abiram came out and stood at the door of their tents with their wives their sons and their little children. And Moses said, By this you will know that the Lord has sent me to do all these works. For I have done them, for I have not done them on my own will. If these men die naturally, like all men, or if they are visited by a common fate of all men, then the Lord has not sent me. But if the Lord creates a new thing, and the earth opens its mouth and swallows them up, with all that belongs to them, and they go down alive into the pit, then you will understand that these men have rejected the Lord. You heard what he said there, right? These men have rejected the Lord. Folks, that was the root of the rebellion and them not entering into the life in the promised land. They rejected the Lord. Now in this complaining, we see it focused down, perhaps to the very group that is a, is a grassroots movement that caused the unbelief, that spread the rumors, that, that turned the hearts of God's people away from Him. And so here we see them. They're, they're coming to this time of their, of their fruit. And what's it say? Now it came to pass, as He finished speaking the words that the ground split apart underneath them. The earth opened its mouth and swallowed them up with their households and all the men <clears throat> with Korah and all their goods. So they and all those with them went down alive into the pit 
The earth closed over them, and they perished from among the assembly. The earth opened up, and they went down alive to the pit. Sheol, the holding place, the grave, Hades in the, in the Greek. They went down to the grave, overdone, finished. They rejected the Lord, and God removed them. And he didn't just remove the men. He removed their wives, their children, their babies, their servants. Everything that had anything to do with those guys went down into the pit. Scripture indicates by the language that is used that they were all um, a part of the rejection. And we know that the sins of a family do not just affect the family, do they? No, they affect the children. One day a father was getting out of the house and he said, you know, I'm just going to go down to the liquor store and get some wine. I'm done with the works and I'll just sit down and have a, have a drink of some wine and, and then I'll come back home. And as he was going, he turned around and he looked back in the snow and he saw his little son. He said, boy, what are you doing? He said, I'm just following your footprints, daddy. Where were footprints leading? That's what they do. That's why the scripture says the sins of the father pass down to the son. The book of Ezekiel says no more will a, a, a man eat sour grapes and his children teeth fall out. The Bible never teaches that it's outside of your control when you fall into the sins of the father. What it does teach is the example that you lead will be followed. The example that you lead will be followed. And the Lord's judgment comes upon them all. Because the sins of the Father touched them all. Infected and affected every one of them. So they went down alive to the pit. Down alive to the grave. Then all of Israel who were around them fled at their cry. For they said the earth is going to swallow us up too. I imagine there was a bit of panic. And what happens? Then fire came from the Lord and consumed 250 men that were offering incense. Oh no! The 250 guys that were taking them censers up before the Lord, the fire of the Lord came out and consumed them. Poof! They got burnt. They're all gone. Crispy critters. Poof. Gone. Zip. Finished. And the Lord said to Moses, Tell Eleazar, the son of Aaron, the priest, to go pick up the censers out of the blaze, for they are holy. And scatter the fire some distance away. Throw that fire away. And the censers of the men who had sinned against their souls, let them be hammered into plates as a covering for the altar, because they presented them before the Lord. Therefore they are holy. They will be a sign to the children of, uh, of Israel. So Eliezer the priest took the what kind of censers? Bronze. What were the censers supposed to be? Gold. They were to, in the tribe of Levi, take their gold and make from their gold censers. But these guys didn't have any gold. How come? What did they use their gold on? What about that little golden calf? They didn't have any gold. So they molded their censers out of bronze because gold was hammered and bronze was molded. So they molded their censers. Now the Lord says, now those censers have, have 
been purified, been cleansed, being in the presence of God. So they're going to take that bronze, they're going to hammer it into a covering over the what? Altar. The place of what? Sacrifice. Where the sins are paid for. As a memorial that people would remember the rebellion of Korah. And not follow in the footsteps of those who had gone before them. When they went before the Lord, they were supposed to be only certain men, specifically Aaron and his sons. <coughs> so what do we see of these 250? They're the wrong men. They had the wrong censers. They had the wrong fire. They had the wrong incense. Everything about what they were doing was wrong. And it was all rooted in their pride. All that rebellion rooted in their pride. They didn't trust in the fire that was to be taken from the altar, signifying the sacrifice of Jesus Christ being that which empowers everything that we do. Nope. They brought strange fire. Remember, we studied about strange fire before. Strange fire just burns up the people who bring it. They brought strange fire, wrong censers, wrong men, wrong incense. Their prayers were wrong. The fire, the empowerment was wrong. The container was wrong. They were wrong. Everything about them was wrong. And they couldn't see any of it because they were propelled by pride. Pride led to their destruction. They're wiped out because their pride is what brings them forward. It says in verse 40, they're going to hammer it. So Eliezer the priest took the bronze censers with which which those who were burned up had presented, and they hammered out as a covering on the altar to be a memorial to the children of Israel, that no outsider who is not a descendant of Aaron should come near to offer incense before the Lord, that he might not become like Korah and his companions, just as the Lord had said to him through Moses. Oh, wait. On the next day, All the congregation of the children of Israel complained against Moses and Aaron, saying, You have killed the people of the Lord. Did you ever get the idea that nobody's paying attention? That nobody's listening? That that the heart of this people, when we look at that group of people, the generation that's going to perish in the wilderness and never enter into the promised land, Don't look at them as people who were just struggling a little bit with their unbelief. This is a people who had rejected the Lord rule over them. They just experienced the voice of God. The the prayer of intercession from Moses spared the people. And now the people have come against Moses saying he's the one who wiped out the the what did he call them? He called them the people of the Lord. Use the covenantal name of God. That Korah and Dathan and Abiram, they were the real deal, and Moses killed them. Dirty rotten guy. Now look at this. Now when it happened when the congregation had gathered against Moses and Aaron, that they turned toward the tabernacle of meeting, and suddenly the cloud covered it, and the glory of the Lord appeared. And Moses and Aaron came before the tabernacle of the Lord. And the Lord spoke to Moses and said, Get away from this congregation that I can consume them in a moment. And they fell on their faces. Now, I'd have got frustrated a long time before now. 
Yeah. But that's not their heart. Their heart is always to go before the people. When, you know, Moses has already reached that intercessory prayer. We saw it in Exodus where he prayed, Lord, I would rather go to hell and them to be saved. Isn't that what Paul prayed too? I would rather be anathema, cursed, that the nation of Israel might be saved. That is a burden for the lost. Here Moses, once again accused, once again attacked, once again on his face before the Lord, praying, what, for the very people who are moving against him. So Moses said to Aaron, now they're on their face praying, God says he's going to wipe out the people. Moses said to Aaron, take a censer, put fire in it and, and from the altar, put incense on it and take it quickly to the congregation and make atonement for them. For wrath has gone out from the Lord, the plague has begun. So the Lord said, I'm wiping them out, Moses. Moses falls down on his face. The Lord reveals to Moses what's about to take place. A plague is already moving through the children of Israel. They're dying. They don't even know it yet. They're dying. And they don't want nothing from Moses. They don't want nothing from Aaron. But Moses says, Aaron, you go take fire from the altar, the symbol, the power, the cross of Jesus Christ. And you attach that, that power of the sacrifice of Jesus to the incense, which is the prayer of God's people. And you go out in the midst of those people and make atonement for them. Make a covering. Cover the people that they might be saved, that they might not perish. And Aaron took it as Moses commanded, and he ran to the midst of the assembly. I might have walked. Might have took my time. A couple more just dropped right there, but not them. They're up with a purpose. Why? Because Moses and Aaron had already come face to face with who they were. And they realized... I'm just like them. I'm not any better. Just because God called me. You remember how Moses tried to deliver the children of Israel? How did he try to do it? By murdering a man. Aaron, what did he do? He rebelled against Moses. He had rebelled in the same type of rebellion that these people had rebelled with. He built the golden calf for crying out loud. He had done all these things and he realized he came face to face with his frailty, who he is. I'm a sinner saved by grace. What did Paul say? I'm the chief of sinners. When we have that attitude, when we look at ourselves and not an attitude of pride, it's so easy to pray for the people. It's so easy to intercede. But when we're ruled by a spirit of pride that says... Man, I I am spiritually superior to them. It's so hard to pray. It's so hard to intercede. They could intercede because they knew who they were. Moses knew, I'm just a murderer saved by grace. Empowered by the Spirit of God to do works that God's doing. I'm no different than those guys dying over there in the plague. Except I know who I am. And Aaron was the same way. We come face to face with who we are really, who we are really, what we are really, that we are just like everyone else. Paul would say, I am the dregs. 
I'm the little scummy foam that comes up in the surf. That's what Paul says. How many people had he murdered? How many people had he killed? How many people had he led astray before the Lord came to him and revealed himself to him? And Paul never lost, he never ever lost touch with who he was. You can never forget where you come from, that we, every one of us, are sinners saved by grace. Held out of the fire by the hands of an angry God. A God that hates sin. Hates what it does. He holds us out of the fire. By His grace. That's why Moses and Aaron could reach out with love. That's why they could intercede. That's why they could move forward for them. Look what happens. and It says, so he, he put in the incense and he made atonement for the people and he stood between the dead and the living so the plague was stopped. Aaron didn't go out there and find himself some comfortable place to be. He went right to the spot where people were dropping dead and he stood there to, to stop, to stop the price of sin. Isn't that what Jesus Christ did for us? He went to the place. He went to the place where he who knew no sin became sin for us. That we might become the righteousness of God. Isn't that what Aaron is becoming a picture of here? As people are dying, people are falling, he runs in to make atonement for their sins. That's what Jesus did. The rebellion of Korah is no different than our rebellion. The rebellion of Korah is no different than the rebellion that takes place in a world that cries out, we will not have this man to rule over us. And what's our place there? Our place in this world is a place of Moses and Aaron to intercede for people who don't want it. To stand in the gap for people who will say, that you're crazy and you're dumb and your ideas are stupid and you got it all wrong. Yet God calls us to that place, that mission. He always calls His people to that place and that mission. The Apostle John, no different than the Apostle Paul or, or Peter or any of those in the, in the early church fathers who went before us. Ignatius, Irenaeus, Jerome... All of these guys called the same way. To do what? To stand as intercessors for my people. For the people that God says, I love. How do I know He loves them? Because He said it in John 3. God so loved the world. That includes it all. And He wants us to stand in the gap. He wants us to stand in the gap. He says to me, Jackie, I don't want you to think about that that, that that person or this thing or that thing is not worth your time or your prayer or your effort. He says, I want you, like Moses, on your face. On your face. He wants us on our face, seeking Him. He would do His perfect work. And He'll do it, just like He did here. Aaron ran and stood in that place. Now those who died in the plague, 14,700, beside those who died in the Korah incident. So Aaron returned to Moses at the door of the tabernacle of meeting, for the plague had stopped. Complaining hadn't stopped, but the plague stopped. Think there are plagues we face today? 
I guarantee there's plagues we face today. I guarantee there's plagues we face today if God's people would fulfill the calling that God has given that would be less tragic. But Keith Green said, God's people are too busy sleeping in the light to do anything for the people that are in the darkness. That's why Paul would write in Romans chapter 13, it is high time to awake out of sleep. For now our salvation is nearer than when we first believed. The day is far spent and night has come. It's time for we who are of the day to do the work that he has called us to do. To fulfill that calling. To step out and pray. Pray for his people. Pray for the world. Pray for the nations. Pray for the lost. Pray for the moving of the Spirit. God is calling us to fulfill that role. Amen? Amen. Why don't you stand with me? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord God, we thank you, praise you for an opportunity to study the wandering in the wilderness, Lord, because I think sometimes that's where we are. We're wandering in the wilderness, wondering why... We're not experiencing that victorious Christian life that we see as we cross the Jordan River. Lord, I, I see here that your people were, were just filled with pride, that they knew things better, that they didn't trust you. They didn't believe you. They tried to take things in their own hand. And I know we do that. I know we do that. I know we think, oh, I can take care of this, Lord. I don't want to bother you. But the source of all that is pride that I know better. I know how to take care of this. I I don't need to lean or press into the Lord. God, I, I confess, I repent. Turn away from that unbelief, that pride that brings rebellion. I want to follow the example of Moses and Aaron on their face before the Lord, praying for the people who hated them. That's who I want to be. Because I see in that example, I see Jesus Christ. I hear the cries of my Savior from the cross saying, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. But we do know We do know what's going on. We do know what's happening. And I hear Jesus' voice like over a loudspeaker saying, won't you pray? Won't you stay with me and pray? And I know like Peter and and the guys that were with him, I, I fall asleep. I fall asleep. But you say, it is high time to awake out of sleep. It's time to wake up. The last days are upon us. Every day, people go to an eternity without God. I can't talk to them all. But I can pray. Lord God, I just... I want your spirit to move among this body, Lord. I want our community to just come to the realization of who you are and what you can do and 
and the power, Lord, as we sit here in the greatest nation on earth. But we sit here asleep. Wake us up to do, to go, to move, to be who you're calling us to be. And, and if it's something small, then may we praise God for being something small. And if it's something large with greater responsibility, then may we praise God for that. And may we keep our eyes on you and not look at one another and begin to think, built up by pride, that I should have what my brother has. I have a race to run for you, Lord. It's my race, no one else's. And you tell me to run it to win. You call us all. Run the race to win. So, Lord, pour out your Spirit upon your church. Empower us to do what you're calling us to do, that we might change the world around us one life at a time. Father, we pray that you would be glorified in this place. And you would teach us not to run in the way of Korah or the way of Balaam. As you teach us these principles as we go through the book of Numbers, may we learn, may we move, may we grow, may we be what you're calling us to be. Father, we give you all we are. In your hands, it's so much, Lord. Do your will in our life. And we give you all the praise and the glory for what you will accomplish. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. We're going to close in a, a time of worship. We invite you guys to, to worship with us. And as we go from here, we'll have a time of fellowship outside. We'd love to spend some time sitting, talking having an opportunity to visit with you guys. God bless you, and go in peace.
Lord, you've called us close, Lord. You've called us friends. Lord, uh, may we abide with you, Lord, forever, Lord. Lord, uh, draw us near to you, Lord, as we go through our week, Lord. Lord, uh, may we be a light. Lord, may we be salt in our world, Lord God. Go this as we fellowship, Lord. Uh, bless our, our gathering, Lord God. Lord, we just thank you for your spirit rests upon us, Lord God. Set us apart, Lord, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.